Welcome to the One God Report podcast. I'm really excited today to have as our guest, Kermit Zarley. Kermit is a retired professional golfer. I know that, Kermit, you were on the pro circuit in the 1960s and 70s, and that you as well returned to the senior circuit. You've been an evangelical Christian your whole life, but you started to search the scriptures to see who Jesus really was, and you discovered that he was a human being who was commissioned and sent by God, that God is one, and that Jesus Christ is a human Messiah. Kermit, could I get you to give us a description of how you came to this understanding, where you're at now? Sure. Uh, Bill, I was on the PGA Tour. I was involved in uh, Christian ministry on the tour. My friend Babe Hiskin and I had co-founded the PGA Tour Bible Study back in 1965. And so it was about in 1979 or 1980 that I started to question, hey, is my belief about Jesus being God uh, is that correct according to the scriptures? The reason I started to question it, I believed it all of those years. I had become a Christian at the age of 13 and uh, had committed my life to Christ <clears throat> and had believed what I had been taught in church, which was that Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that. And God is three persons known as the doctrine of the trinity so i had no problem with that i believed it for 22 years but then i started to question it when i read a verse in uh jesus olivet discourse when he says uh no one knows the day of his return uh neither the angels of god nor the son referring to himself but only the father and so he's speaking of his second coming. And that was a topic that I had specialized in throughout my life since college days, studying biblical prophecies and the second coming of Christ. And so I thought to myself, wait a minute. I know the doctrine of the hypostatic union, that uh, Jesus is both God and man. He has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. Uh, and I'd been taught that when Jesus said that uh, particular verse, that he was speaking from the perspective of his human nature, but in his divine nature, he did know the time of his second coming because he was God. And I thought, that makes Jesus look like a liar, if not kind of schizophrenic. And I'd never thought that before. And so I regard that as an enlightenment in my life. And I said to myself, I must look into this. So I started to study this diligently in the scriptures first. And then I was also reading theological books on it. And it took me about two or three years. I uh, was actually at a golf tournament. It was at the U.S. Open. Uh, at Pebble Beach, my favorite golf course, in 1982. 
and I was staying in a in a home that had a theological library. I was studying this theology all up through late into the next morning. I shouldn't have been doing that. I should have been going to bed and get my sleep. But I was so engaged in this. And on Saturday night, actually early Sunday morning, in uh, tense prayer, I prayed to God and I said, Lord, it looks to me like your scriptures do not say, Jesus does not say that he's God in the Bible. And so that was where I made my commitment. But I had two verses that uh, I regard as barriers to believing that. And uh, that was John 1.1c, which is traditionally translated, and the word was God. And then Thomas's confession when he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. It took me about five years before I came to the place where I understood that, no, this is not saying that Jesus is God. But I still believed that, yeah, Jesus preexisted. We got these scriptures that seem pretty clear to me still that uh, Jesus preexisted, whether you say he actually preexisted as a as a human being or the logos or whatever it was, it was Jesus somehow. He preexisted because he says in John 6 about, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. And that would be one of several texts. And so it took me about 10 to 12 years from the time I made that commitment back in 1982 to where I understood that some of these so-called pre-existence texts, especially in the Gospel of John, they have a metaphorical meaning. So I think that you want us to get into that here. Right. So I'll just say, too, Kermit is an mm-hmm. author, and he's written a number of books as a webpage. I'll link it, of course, in the show notes, kermitzarly.com. And one of the books he has written is called The Restitution of Jesus Christ, which is a very, very thorough analysis of Trinitarian and deity of Christ claims. A fantastic resource, I must say. I would like to see Kermit put it into a normal format. He's got a kind of a certain uh, different physical format. But your book, Kermit, is really, really good. I'm sure this has all been part of your own search and study to understand who Jesus Christ is. And yes, if we could today, I would like to focus in on some of these statements in the Gospel of John. Really, the Gospel of John is a focus of your book because this is kind of the place that people go to to claim that Jesus is God. And I would like us to focus in on some of these claims and statements in the Gospel of John. Like in John 6:38, you refer to where Jesus is talking about being the bread from heaven. And he says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's a cluster of verses in that passage in John 6, where Jesus is talking about being the bread of life coming down from heaven. There's other places uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, for instance, where uh, it's described that Jesus has come from above and come from heaven. So how do we understand these passages? Is Jesus claiming to literally have 
come down from heaven, that he preexisted. How are these to be understood? Well, Bill, let's go on with this. Uh, Jesus continued to say, I am the bread from heaven. And then in John 6, verse 53, he says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Uh, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. And so he goes on with that. And then the people who are listening to him, they are offended by this. How can this man say he's come from heaven? Uh, how can he say, eat my flesh, drink my blood? So they are understanding this literally. That, of course, is not how most Christians understand that. They believe that Jesus was speaking metaphorically concerning the bread of life, eating his flesh, and drinking his blood. But they think that when he says he came down from heaven, that he's speaking literally. And so I believe that's an inconsistency. I think that if you're going to interpret the bread of life, his flesh that we're to eat, and his blood that we're to drink, if you're going to interpret those figuratively as metaphors, then I think you have to be consistent here and interpret also uh, his coming down from heaven as being metaphorical. What he means is he has access to heaven. God speaks to him. He speaks the words of God like no one ever. Jesus was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. And so throughout this Gospel of John, Jesus is often saying, that God gives him his words to speak. And that is how we can call Jesus the word of God. Yeah, I think that's important. The reference in John 6, 51, where Jesus says it's his flesh that came down from heaven. This is the living yeah. bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he must be speaking in a metaphorical sense because even evangelical Christians, Catholic Christians wouldn't say that in the flesh, Jesus literally descended from heaven. He didn't have a human body in heaven before he came to earth in the Christian mind. So yeah. he must be speaking metaphorically here. Yes, and then uh, when you drop down, and uh, read what Jesus says, starting in verse 62. He says, after the people said, this teaching is difficult, who can accept it? Jesus says, does this offend you? And then he says, it is the spirit that gives life, in verse 63. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Mm -hmm. So when he says spirit, 
I believe he means that he is speaking spiritually. He's speaking figuratively. He means if you eat my flesh, he means if you believe in him. If you drink his blood, he means if you believe in him. Towards the end of his ministry at the Last Supper, when he taught to his disciples to do this in remembrance of me, eating this bread, and Protestant and non-Catholic Christians believe that that's to be understood spiritually, that that is somewhat like what Jesus is teaching right here in uh, John 6 about the bread of life. This is your exercise of your faith in Jesus dying for you on the cross and shedding his blood, the bread and the wine referring to his body and his blood. Mm -hmm. You know, that's in this Gospel of John, and you made reference to it here too, it specifically says that people did not understand the metaphors that Jesus used. John chapter 10, verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech or metaphor, and they did not understand what he was saying. And as we see here in this chapter, in chapter 6 of John, they murmured over this. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can he say he came down from heaven? We know his father. We know his family. So in the passage itself, the people that are taking him literally are shown to be the ones that are misunderstanding him. And this is a, a theme, is it not, that runs through the Gospel of John. People don't understand his metaphors. It does, Bill. It runs through the Gospel of John a lot. Uh, the Gospel of John is well known for this by scholars who specialize in understanding the Gospel of John. They point out several instances in the Gospel of John in which Jesus is speaking figuratively, uh, but he's being understood by his listeners literally. And so this is a very important thing to try to understand about the Gospel of John, and that is Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John figuratively a lot. For example, another, uh, another one is Nicodemus coming to him at night. The narrative is in John 3, and Jesus right away says to him, you need to be born again or born from above meaning born from heaven and uh, so Nicodemus says what you mean I need to go back into my mother's womb be born again and of course Jesus didn't mean that and this is a common theme in Jesus words in the Gospel of John and I believe it is also true here in John 6 on his bread of life teaching you know, I think, Kermit, that we, we really do understand this because we see these metaphors used in other places in the scripture and we don't have a problem with them. For instance, uh, in Matthew 21, 25, and the parallel in Mark eleven thirty, 30, where they question Jesus' authority and Jesus asked them the question of the baptism of John. Where did it come from, John's baptism? from heaven or from man and we understand the metaphor there 
we understand that to come from heaven means to have the authority from God, to be commissioned by God, or to be part of God's plan and not just merely a human plan. So we understand that there. But for some reason, with these passages in John, when we want to, our brains switch and we want to insist, no, that's a literal coming down from heaven. Or in James, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Now we know that means metaphorically that God provides it for us, that the origin is from God. It's not just of man's origination. So I think we can understand those metaphors here in the, in the Gospel of John. And it is interesting that this Gospel uses so many of these metaphorical figures. I think there's probably a reason for it, that the audience, well, we don't really have time to go into this so much, but the audience, I think the writer of the Gospel of John is going to expect his audience to understand these metaphors and at the same time see that Jesus' listeners didn't understand them. And I've been recently uh, watching a kind of an Israeli soap opera almost it is of religious jews made in israel they're speaking hebrew and so forth and i'm always amazed at the metaphors and the language they use how it does this kind of thing and they understand it they understand to be from heaven to come from god they understand it's not a literal sense it means something that god has provided that god is involved with it Uh let me just switch a little bit here kermit if you don't mind because i think I'm going to go to a topic that's related, and maybe even we almost could have started with the topic, and that is, in your book, The Restitution of Jesus Christ, you show that the foremost Christological motif in the Gospel of John, and what I mean by Christological is who Jesus is, what his nature is, and so forth, the foremost Christological motif in the Gospel of John is not incarnation. It's not that God became man, but rather you call it agent Christology, that Jesus is the agent of God. He's sent by God. That's the foremost Christological motif. And, you know, again, I think the average evangelical Christian, I was like you, I was a Trinitarian for years and years and years, and I knew in the Gospel of John that Jesus says that he was sent by God. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent And Jesus says, I'm sent from God all over the place. So I knew that in my mind, but somehow I thought that somehow God was still sending God. So if we're honest, yeah, I see that, that the major theme in the Gospel of John is not that God came to be man or put flesh on, but rather that he sent somebody. Can you explain what you mean by agent Christology and not incarnation Christology? You're quite right, Bill, that this uh, sending of the Son, referring to Jesus, is so prevalent in the Gospel of John. And I, I believe that it is the key thing to believe about Jesus in the Gospel of John. And you gave that one verse there in John 6. Here's another one in verse 29 in John 6. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Mm. And so that's kind of an introduction to Jesus' teaching that he starts out here in 
in verse 35 by saying, I am the bread of life. And so it's this idea of God sending him. And I was like you, uh, a Trinitarian for 22 years. I thought that, yes, Jesus is God, but it's the Father who sent the Son. Therefore, uh, God the Father sent Jesus uh, down to the earth. And uh, that's called the incarnation in Christian theology. But I came to believe that, uh, yes, Jesus was sent, but not in the sense that he preexisted and that God sent him from heaven. Uh, when Jesus says this in John 6, he's speaking metaphorically about heaven. But he is sent from God. He came from God. And this is the main thing to believe about Jesus in the Gospel of John. For example, let's, let's continue with this. In chapter 11, verse 42, he says, Father, I thank you. So now he's praying. Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Mm -hmm. That is at the raising of Lazarus. And so then he prays to God and says that so that they may believe that you sent me. And so the Gospel of John is also known as the book of signs because it has these eight miracles uh, that Jesus did. And these signs point to the idea that Jesus came from God. He was sent by God in John 6. He finishes the sermon and these people start walking away because of this. Many of his disciples turned back, would no longer uh, went about with him because they were offended by what he said. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so then Jesus says to the 12, do you wish to go away also? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are a God? No. You are the Holy One of God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is of God. That's what it means for him to be sent by God, the Son of God. The Son of God doesn't mean he's God. It means he has this special relationship with God that is like none other. Mm -hmm. And so therefore... Jesus is God's agent. Yeah, so what does it mean to come from God, to be sent by God? That's, in a nutshell, what we're trying to grasp here. It doesn't mean pre-existence, that Jesus was somehow existent in heaven. And, and by the way, sometimes Christians see the idea of coming from God and being sent from heaven and they think that that means that they're God. But even if Jesus preexisted and was sent from God, that would suggest that he's not God because God sent him. And Jesus constantly differentiated between himself and God, not just between himself and the Father, but between himself and God. God sent him. He doesn't just differentiate between himself and the Father as if he was God the Son or something. He differentiates himself from God entire. So what does it mean? 
correct me if I'm wrong, the idea of being sent and coming from God, it relates to the idea of being commissioned by God, that he has authority from God, that he's God's agent and that he acts on behalf of God. Yes, he's God's human agent, but he acts and speaks on behalf of God and because God is present with him. How else can we understand this? If we can explain the metaphor Jesus uses when he says, I've come from heaven, I've come from God. Yeah, you are so right there, Bill. I'm just thinking right now of in Jesus, what he said at his last supper in John 14, verse one, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Mm -hmm. A tremendous distinction there Mm -hmm. between him and God. Or let's uh, go over there to verse 28. The Father is greater than I. Mm -hmm. This agent Christology, Jesus being God's agent, the sender is greater than the one sent. And so this is what it means to be a representative of a principle. And incidentally, this was a, a common thing in antiquity about agency. They used that in the business world a lot. And so there was probably understanding by Jesus' listeners when he spoke in terms of having been sent by God, that he was God's agent. And people can get confused in reading this in the Bible. And it's, you know, it it sounds like, oh, well, you are the principle, uh, the way you're talking. No, uh, Jesus represents God. Uh, When Jesus speaks, it's as if God speaks because God has given him his words. But that doesn't mean Jesus is God. (laughs) Yeah, see, this is another thing in the Gospel of John that I think as a Trinitarian, I kind of skipped over. Jesus would say things like, I can of my own self do nothing. Oh, yeah. A couple different places. I can do nothing on my own initiative. That's John 5, 19 and 30. And, and he says, I do nothing on my own authority, John eight twenty eight. And my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. The person who's willing to do God's will, Jesus says, He shall know if the teaching is from God or from myself. You can see the differentiation again. And here's another thing, Kermit. I was going to say, here's another thing is that when I was a Trinitarian, somehow I didn't realize that, hmm, I always thought, okay, Jesus is the word or God, the son in the flesh, but he never claims to be speaking God, the son's words. God, the son just disappears in the gospel of John. Jesus always saying, these are the father's words. What, doesn't God the Son have anything to say ever? I didn't think of it, right? He yeah. just disappears in this gospel. He's not there. I'm doing the Father's works. These are the Father's words, not mine. And he can say that because he's the human being who is authorized and empowered by God. That's what it means to come from God, to come from heaven. He has the commission and the authority and the empowerment from God. Yes, quite right, Bill. Thinking of a couple more verses on this in Jesus' high priestly prayer, 
which happened right after the Last Supper. And in it, he says to God, verse 8, they have believed that you sent me. And then in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He draws a comparison there. And so you would think that, okay, the disciples are being sent into the world, but they didn't pre-exist and came down from heaven. And so Jesus is making a comparison there. The sending of the disciples is like God sending him. And so, no, he didn't come down literally from heaven. Being sent into the world involves authority and commission. Right. Yep. You know, I think maybe one of the most clear statements that differentiates Jesus from the one true God is John 17, 3, where Jesus is praying and he says, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, whom you have sent. There it is again. He's the commissioned human Messiah representing God. Yes, Bill, I regard this saying of Jesus, John 17, 3, as the number one text in the Bible showing that Jesus is not God. Okay, I agree with you. Yeah. Allow me to suggest this, Kermit. The problem with incarnational theories that be it either a God himself or a lesser God that became human or that took on flesh or humanity is that there's really no human person then. The personhood is that pre-existent being that simply took on flesh. So now there was no human person if he pre-existed there was no human person that died on the cross it's somebody else it's some other kind of a person and then you start to change the idea of what death really is and this is to me what the scriptures are adamant about is the human messiah was dead he was dead for three days it wasn't just that some pre-existent spirit took on a human flesh for a while and then shed that human flesh, but still continue to live. That's a perversion of what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying Messiah crucified, dead. And Jesus in the book of Revelation said, I was dead. So to me, one of the real dangers of, of misinterpreting Jesus' metaphors about coming from heaven, which simply means he was sent by God. We see that John the Baptist was sent by God. John chapter 1, verse 6. To be sent by God means to be commissioned by God. To come from God means you're empowered by God. You're not just working on your own authority. It's not just a human movement or something. But the danger of taking these metaphors literally is you eliminate the human person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now he's some other person that lived whatever, how many eternities previous to this. And his death is not a real death. 
that's to me one of the real dangers of misinterpreting these metaphors. Oh, I, I fully agree with you, Bill. Uh, let me say this, uh, when we got into the bread of life sermon here, that came about because Jesus had done this miracle earlier mm -hmm. recorded in John 6. Passover was about to happen. And Jesus was over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. And then all these people were over there and they didn't have anything to eat. A boy had five loaves and two fishes and Jesus took those and multiplied them. And so he fed 5,000 people. And this was such a great miracle that people started saying, uh, it says here in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, what does that refer to? Mm -hmm. Well, that's in the Torah, uh, mm -hmm. where Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So it's not a God-man. Mm. It's a man like Moses. Mm. That's what Jesus was. He was a man like Moses. He was fully man, 100% man. To me, the concept of a God-man, that's not a full human person. Mm. Uh, let's turn over to Hebrews 2.17. The author says of Jesus, he says in verse 16, for it's clear that he, Jesus, did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect. So he had to be just like the Jews. He had to be just like the descendants of Abraham. He had to be 100% human not a human and a God. Mm -hmm. So he has to be human in every respect. Amen. Well, Kermit, thank you very much. I appreciate your taking time and being able to look at some of these ideas to really understand who this one is that's sent by God. The full yeah. humanity of Jesus Christ is, is essential. You know, otherwise you start, we start to get in these, these ideas of, well, then who did die, right? Does God die? If this is just the, a God person or a divine person that took on flesh somehow, and then he died, well, really? You know, this, it's kind of a timely message here because in most of the Christian world, the celebration of Christmas is that God became a baby and that God now is going to die for us. But the scriptures say the Messiah died. This was God's plan. Quite right, Bill. And it's always a great joy for me to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, Bill, if I may, I'd like to just also say that I'm writing other books. Uh, I have a series on biblical eschatology and my third book in that series the series is called still here 
my third book just came out in July and it's entitled Moses Predicted COVID-19. Go to Amazon.com, put in my name and you'll see my books there and you can click on my new book, Moses Predicted COVID-19. Provocative title, I'm comparing coronavirus to Moses' food laws, and I've got some interesting things to say, I think. Very interesting. We'll make sure to link. And you have so many great articles on your website. Like I did before, I highly recommend your book, The Restitution of Jesus Christ. Kermit, before I let you go, can I ask you one other thing, totally off topic? Sure. Okay. I would be amiss if I didn't ask this question. As a professional golfer, what would be the one thing you would recommend for people that are non-pros to make our golf game better? <laughs> it's the same with Jesus. Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> Keep your eye on Jesus. The author of Hebrews says that. Okay, very interesting. That's all I got to do is just keep my eye on that ball, huh? Yeah. I keeping, wish it was that easy. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author of Hebrews says. Let, listen to this, Bill. I one time played golf with Joe DiMaggio, the great baseball player. Mm. And I asked him at the end of the round, Joe, What's the most important thing you try to do in hitting a baseball? And he said, Kermit, it's the same thing in golf. Keep your eye on the ball. Fantastic. Okay, again, thanks a lot and blessings from the, the God you, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, and the same to you. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. Yishma'u anavim ve'yishmahu. The humble will hear and rejoice.